What a great day to be in worship today as we celebrate baptism, as we kick off Vacation Bible School, and as we celebrate Father's Day. And I'm just thrilled to see each of you here today and uh, using this occasion to conclude our series on setting family goals. How can we set some goals? What kind of goals should we set so we can thrive as families by God's design? And we kicked off this sermon series with mom goals on Mother's Day, so it's only fitting that we finish it with dad goals here on Father's Day. And uh, I was talking with somebody earlier, and they were commenting about why is it that on Mother's Day the preacher preaches all these wonderful sermons about how great moms are, and we should just really love and value our moms. And then Father's Day comes, and the preacher preaches like this fire and brimstone message to dads. i got to come down hard on the dads. Well, two reasons. One is that I am a dad, and so I think I can speak to us dads. I I can be a little hard because I'm being hard on myself as well. Uh, But the second reason is I firmly believe that God has especially given men a responsibility uh, and hold men accountable to being the spiritual leaders in their homes and in their church. And for that reason, maybe I I come on a little bit more, uh, a little tougher on dads than I do on moms. Uh, We have been given a, a responsibility by God as husbands, as fathers, uh, we've, we are held accountable in a unique way, and that in no way diminishes the hard work and the roles and responsibilities of mothers. In no way. It's just that men have a different set of responsibilities and accountability that God has given us. And it's an accountability and a responsibility that sadly men often abdicate because in many instances it is the mom who is bringing the children to church and who is providing that spiritual leadership and and. So the question I have for us as dads is what kind of example are we setting for our children when we fail to prioritize faith, when we don't read the Bible and pray, when we aren't bringing our children to church with us? What message are we giving to them? Another way to ask that is what kind of faith legacy are we leaving the next generation, dads? A legacy is what you leave behind for the people you care about the most. It's what lives on after you. It's what you're remembered for. So the question is not if you will leave a legacy, because we're all going to leave a legacy. The question is what kind of legacy will we be leaving behind? And the other thing is a legacy isn't just something that's locked away, like in a trust or in a safety deposit box, to be opened and dispersed upon your death. That's why I've titled this sermon, Leading Our Family to a legacy of faith. Because a legacy isn't just something we leave. A legacy is something we lead our family to live and experience every single day. So how are you investing in your family? How are we investing in the next generation, men? What kind of legacy are we living right now and leading our families toward? And if you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 127 and 128, these are wisdom psalms. They they function as extended proverbs uh, to talk about the roles of of men and fathers both at home and in the community. And the psalmist here is using, both psalmists are using vivid word pictures that really, I think, speak to men. Construction, armies and weaponry and warfare, uh, uh, gardening. These kinds of analogies, I think, are, are very good for us to help us think about the kind of legacy that we live and leave at home and in our church and in our community. Uh, As extended proverbs, these psalms make some pretty audacious claims and promises. 
Uh, Of course, we know in the real world that these don't always work out that way, and that's why a proverb is there to show you the ideal. Here, here is the, the, if you live this way, in general, things will go this direction for you. It's not a guarantee that will happen every single time, so we need to keep that in mind as well. And I want us to dive into these two psalms to see what they say about how we can lead our families to live a legacy of faith. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the examples, uh, both positive and negative, of men in the Bible to show us how You have created us to be as men and fathers and husbands and how we are not to be. And so, God, I pray that You would use these psalms to instruct our hearts and minds uh, to be the kind of men that You would have us to be. Not men as the world says men are to be, but to be men after Your own heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Psalm 127, the first thing we see is that we must lead with a trusting faith. If we're going to lead our families into a legacy of faith, we have to lead with a trusting faith. Let's look at Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. So the first thing we see in verse 1 is we have to trust the Lord to build our house. To trust the Lord to build our house. Now, there's a double meaning in this verse because this was a psalm of ascent, meaning this was a psalm that Jewish pilgrims would sing as they were going up to Jerusalem and up to the temple to worship. So on the one hand, it's talking about the Lord building the spiritual house, the temple, but on the other hand, it's also talking about the Lord building our houses. There's a double meaning there, which makes sense when you know that a, uh, to a Jewish family, the home is like a mini-temple and the dad is like the priest of the family. But how does this apply to us as Christians today? Well, Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, 18, He said, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So when you look at Psalm 127, 1, the Lord builds a house. You look what Jesus said, the Lord builds His church. It's Jesus who builds both. And if we try to build either our families or our churches apart from God's direction and power and blessing, it's a futile waste of energy. We will fail every time. But if we trust the Lord to build our churches and our homes, they will withstand whatever the world throws their way. We, we can't build strong families, men. We can't be the kinds of husbands and fathers we need to be apart from God. We need His wisdom, His patience, His love. We need Him to help us to be the kind of men that He would have us to be, to parent the way He would have us to parent. Jesus said in John fifteen five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in Me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from Me, you can do what? Nothing. Now, in Philippians 4.13, Paul puts the positive spin on that. He says, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. So apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So if you ever feel like you're inadequate, you ever feel like you just don't have what it takes to be the good husband you should be or the dad that you should be, uh, the leader in the church that you should be, guess what? You're right. 
Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Without Him, we will never measure up. But with Jesus, we can do all things. There's nothing beyond our ability. So we need to rely on the Lord. And I think this is why it's so vital for the future of, of the church and our families and this nation that we work to reclaim men and women. We need to re- reclaim what biblical manhood and womanhood is all about. We need men and women, moms and dads, first of all, who love the Lord, their God, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need to be in love with Jesus. We need to be pursuing Him. Men, it's important for you to be in worship, to be in Sunday school, to be serving Jesus through your church. Your church needs you. Your family needs you. Children whose fathers are actively engaged in the church are far more likely to stay engaged in the church after high school graduation than children whose dads don't. That's just what statistics and studies have shown. And so we need to pray for God to help us build up our families so that we can mold and shape our children and the next generation into godly men and women so we can lead them to faith in Jesus and disciple them to be the kind of people God would have them to be. Trust the Lord to build your house. Secondly, trust the Lord to guard your city. We have to trust the Lord. Just as we can't properly build our houses apart from God, we can't guard our cities without Him either. Makes me think of Nehemiah. Remember when Nehemiah was leading the, the, the people in Jerusalem to rebuild their houses and rebuild the walls and the city gates? They had a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. They had to build while they were prepared for battle. Why? Because Satan loves to tear down and destroy what we're trying to build for the Lord. He is out there to stop us from building our families, our churches, and our communities. So we can't build them to stand unless the Lord builds them through us. Again, unless we are relying upon Him, we can't guard our families against the enemy without His watchful care and His powerful protection. That reminds me of what Jeremiah said to the Jewish exiles in Babylon in Jeremiah 29.7. He told them, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. So not talking about Jerusalem, not talking about the land of Israel. They're in Babylon. They've been captured and taken there. Yet, Jeremiah says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And I think that one of the best ways we can see the wealth, seek the welfare of our community, one of the best ways we can help to build stronger communities and a stronger nation is for men to be better husbands and fathers and for us to encourage other men to be engaged in and intentional in the lives of their children. I think it's vital. Fatherlessness, as you know, is a huge epidemic in our country. Nearly one out of four children in America today live without either a biological step or adoptive father in the home. 25%. Children in fatherless homes are four times more likely to live in poverty. Fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse, and children in single-parent homes are more than twice as likely to commit suicide. Now, of course, not every child in a fatherless home is going to turn out that way. There are plenty of people that go against the odds of those statistics. History is full of many great men and women who who came from a a fatherless home and yet rose to do great and wonderful things. So what made the difference for them? Well, among other things, including a very strong uh, mother at home, uh, is that they had other men in their lives. They had other men in their community that invested in them and that spent time with them and that had an impact on them. 
Men, that means that simply by being present and involved, we can better our communities. Studies also show that the number of fathers in, if, if the number of fathers in a neighborhood is low, that the violent crime increases in that neighborhood. So when we men are involved in our community, when we're involved in our church, when we're investing in the lives of children, we can have a positive effect even if they're not our children. So, men, you might not even be a dad, but you can be involved. You can work in Sunday school with our children. You can help with vacation Bible school. You can coach upward basketball. You can drive a bus for a youth or children's trip. You can help with the kids or the youth on Wednesday night. And when you do that, you make a difference in those kids' lives. You make a difference in their families, in our community, and in our church. So we need to trust the Lord to guard our cities. Third, trust the Lord to provide for your family. On top of the crisis of fatherlessness in our country are those dads who are present in the home physically, but they're disconnected. They're disengaged from their children. Oftentimes because they are overworking. They're workaholics. They're at home checking their email. They're on the phone all the time. They, they don't put in the effort to be involved in the lives of their children. And, and that's a tough issue because especially in this post-COVID day with, with changes in the job market, with the inflation on the rise, uh, sometimes parents have to take on more hours or, or an extra job just to make ends meet. I get it. I understand. And that sadly often leaves children to raise themselves or at least they feel disconnected from their moms or their dads. But we can't just blame this all on inflation. We also have to lay the blame at our consumeristic culture. We live in a culture that tells us we have to have the biggest, the best, the latest, the newest. And I think oftentimes we work hard to buy things that we really don't need. And some parents fall into the trap of thinking that if they just give their children stuff, that makes up for the time they're not spending with their kids, and that's just not the case. And so oftentimes, it's our lack of trust in God that gets in the way of us being able to be the husbands and fathers that He needs us to be. Often it's our lack of trust that God will provide that keeps us from investing in our churches and our communities. Remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, that it's the pagans who go running around chasing after what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, where they're going to live, as if it all depends on them. But Jesus said that if we seek first God and His kingdom and His righteousness, He will add all these things to us. So maybe we need to take some time to evaluate, are we overworking because of materialistic greed? Because our priorities aren't in the right place. Do we lack trust in God to provide? Four, we need to trust the Lord to help us discipline our children. So we trust Him to build our houses, to guard our cities, to provide for our needs, and to help us to disciple our children. I want you to notice in verses 3 through 5 how trusting in God helps us lead our children to be a living legacy of faith that we can enjoy now. It tells us in verse 3 that children are a gift. You know, the, 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 one of the greatest lies in our culture today is that marriage and children are a burden. According to the Pew Research Center, marriages are on the decline in our country by over 10% over the last 25 years. And at the same time, cohabitation is on the rise. And I think one of the reasons for this is that marriage is under attack in our country. It's being redefined and undervalued. And we're seeing the fruit of that. 
And the same is true for fatherhood and motherhood. The birth rate in our country is at an all-time low. Experts say that the replacement birth rate, meaning enough people being born to replace those who are dying, is 2.1 births per woman. In the early 20th century, in the early 1900s, the birth rate in this country was 3. So it was greater than the replacement rate. In 2020, it had fallen to 1.6. Nearly half. I believe that our society has forgotten the intrinsic value and worth of marriage and children, of being husbands and wives and parents. Children are seen as an inconvenience. Just watch a modern-day sitcom. How many of the main characters in that show are married? How many of them have children? It's usually very low. And oftentimes when somebody on the show gets married or has a kid, that's the end of the show. (laughs) That character gets written off somehow. And many TV shows portray those who are still single. They're the ones who are really having fun and living the life. And it's those poor married adults with kids whose lives are over. Sometimes it feels that way. I get it. But that's a huge shift when you look back at some of the classic TV shows from a generation ago. So there's a shift, a change in the messaging that children are getting from our culture. They're being told that being single is being free, happy, independent, and successful. Not that single people can't be that. They very much can be. But the focus in our country has become very self-centered. You focus on your career. You focus on your goals. You focus on your happiness to the detriment of others. But the Bible teaches, and our society historically has believed that children are a gift from God, a reward, a blessing, an inheritance, a sign of God's favor. And if you ask most parents, maybe not every day, but if you ask most parents, they'll tell you that having children was a blessing. Yes, it changes you, but it changes you for the better. It adds a a depth to life. Not always a happy one, but it adds a depth to life that just can't be explained. Children are a gift. Secondly, children are like arrows. He goes on to to make this analogy where the father is portrayed as a, a warrior in battle and his children are the arrows that he needs to successfully defeat his enemy. And so children are invaluable to parents in warring against the enemies of God's kingdom. Now, you probably have never thought about your children as invincible weapons to shoot out into the world, have you? Although some of you probably can say, well, my kid could do a lot of damage (laughs) if I let them out into the world. But as I said in the baptistry, Jesus calls us to be salt of the earth and light to the world. In other words, we as disciples are released into the world to make an impact to transform the world. And the same is true for our children. And as Christian parents, we are first and foremost responsible for discipling and sending out our children into the world for the kingdom of God. And notice two things about these arrows here in verse 4. Notice their potential. Arrows in the quiver. What are they there for? They're there to be released. They're there to be used. It's a sign of potential. And so we should raise our children with the potential that they can be released into the world, aimed at Christ, and at fulfilling His great commission. But then also notice their purpose. Arrows in the hands of a warrior. These are arrows that are prepared and cared for 
and aimed with precision and intentionality. A warrior that has crafted and taken good care of his arrows, whose aim is true, those arrows aren't going to let him down when the enemy attacks. And so to our parents who have prepared and parented well and intentionally with God's help for the purpose of releasing their children into the world as disciples who make disciples to make an impact for Jesus, they will not be put to shame. And our church, moms and dads, our heart, our goal is to partner with you to help you do that, to help you disciple your children effectively and efficiently, to help you hone them for the battle that they will face when they are released into this world. We want to be there to help you do that. So we've looked at what it means to to lead with a trusting faith. That comes first. Before we think about legacies, we have to be leading our families, men, with a trusting faith. But in the next psalm, secondly, we see that we must leave a transforming legacy. When we lead with a trusting faith, we will then leave a transforming legacy. And it's not just, again, something that is left behind after we die. It's something we can begin to enjoy the fruit of today. So let's look at Psalm 128. How happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like young olive trees around your table. In this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, and you will see your children's children. Peace be with Israel. Now, in verse 1, it talks about fearing the Lord. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to walk in His ways. It means to have a humble respect for God our Father, that we don't take Him, we don't take His Word lightly. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And if we fear the Lord and we lead our families to trust in His ways, we will be leaving a legacy of transformation for our family, for our church, for our nation. So let's look at these. Uh, The first thing we see is in verse 2, fathers will enjoy the fruit of their labor. So men, we get to enjoy and reap the benefits of this. Now, a lot of Old Testament prophets, when you go back and you read Amos and Isaiah and Jeremiah, some of these guys, they will talk about enjoying the fruit of your labor as a blessing from God versus having other people take the fruit of your labor as a, as a curse, as a sign of judgment. So true happiness isn't found then in how much money we make or how high up the corporate ladder we can climb. It's in being satisfied with and grateful to God for His good gifts. For the fruit of our labor we get to enjoy with our family, with our walk with Him, that the gifts of having a good purpose in life, the gifts of being able to serve the Lord and to and to benefit and bless our families with excellence. You know, uh, uh, the good work is itself a reward when we labor in the Lord and when we lead our families. So fathers, we get to enjoy the fruit of our labor. But then in verse 3, it says that mothers will be happy and successful. So here we continue this new theme. We started kind of with the construction theme and went to a sort of a warrior theme there in Psalm 127. And in 128, the theme is a garden theme. See, lots of agrarian sort of language here. And we continue here with the wife and mother being compared to a fruitful vine. Now, back in this day, when, you know, sort of like not that long ago in this country, the more children you had, the better, because they had to help you work the farm, right? 
So, so you needed a lot of children. So back at this time, this referred to a mother having lots of children. You know, a lot of grapes on that vine, right? A, a fruitful vine. How would we apply this today? Where that's not so much a, a consideration and a, and a need. We can apply it more broadly to just the joy of parenting. The joy of grandparenting even. When men step up and lead their families with gentleness and grace, when we treat our wives with love and respect as partners in life and ministry, this psalm says that our wives and mothers will experience greater joy, happiness, and success in life. It will bless them. Now, culturally, today, we are in a very confused place. I don't know if you knew that. On the one hand, we're told to celebrate women's accomplishments. To celebrate things like, you know, a woman is the vice president of the United States. That's a, a remarkable thing. But at the same time, our culture can't even define what a woman is. So how do you celebrate their accomplishments then? Hollywood calls men to respect women as equals and treat them with dignity, but at the same time, they celebrate pornography and they use sex to sell their TV shows, movies, and products. They're speaking out of both sides of their mouth. Now, do you know another word for this confusion in our culture? It's called sin. Sin. God created men to reflect His image to this world in a particular way, and God created women to reflect His image to this world in another way. Sin takes these God-given differences, our masculinity and our femininity, and it perverts them. It twists them. It demonizes them even. And we see this in the Bible. Beginning with Adam and Eve. When they first sinned, they blamed each other. They blamed God. And then God explained to them how their sin was going to damage their relationship. There would be contempt. There would be distrust. There were going to be power struggles. And that tells us that men dominating women is not God's intention. That's the result of sin. But neither is it God's intention for the distinction between men and women to be erased. God created us as equal in worth, value, and dignity, men and women, but with different roles, responsibilities, and functions in our families and in our churches. So while our culture can't seem to define what a woman is, it fiercely objects to any acknowledgement between the differences between men and women. It rejects any attempt to honor those God-given differences. Listen, there are things that women can do that men cannot do. Amen, men? There are things women do that they do far superior than what we men can do. And there are some things that God has reserved for men, such as, namely, being, really, only ones I can think of, are being spiritual leaders in their family and in their churches. That's it. There's nothing else that God would restrict a woman from being able to do. Just two things. So I don't want you to believe the media spin that maybe you've seen this past week that says that the Southern Baptist Convention has banned women from leadership in the churches. That is a, a very dishonest twisting, and they know it, of what actually happened in New Orleans this past week. Our convention did nothing more than reinforce what our Baptist faith and message already says and what it has said for decades, that the office of pastor is reserved for men as qualified by the New Testament. That's it. 
Period. That's all that was done this past week. What we did is we acknowledged those God-given differences between men and women, that the office of pastor is reserved for men, and at the same time, we upheld the great contributions of women in Baptist life and history. There was a wonderful resolution that was passed doing just that, acknowledging and celebrating the unique, transformative contribution that women have made in our churches. And so this in no way keeps women from serving in and leading ministries, teaching classes, leading groups, leading organizations, either in or through our church. All it does is say that the pastor is a man as qualified by the New Testament and called by God. That's it. Men, what we have to do is we have to fight the toxic messages in our culture. We have to fight the toxic message that masculinity is somehow aberrant and wrong. Now, there is a worldly, toxic version of masculinity that is not what God intended or what Jesus demonstrated. Yes, we are to fight against that. But we need to be the kind of men that God created and Jesus has saved us to be. We have to fight that message that's anti-male. But secondly, we need to fight the toxic message that women are only valued when they can do what a man can do. That's an insult to me. Women are in and of themselves, as God created them, amazingly amazing and wonderful and powerful and strong and make a huge difference in our world. We need to celebrate that. And we need to look to Jesus as our example of what real godly manhood is and to treat our wives and all the women in our lives the way Jesus would, with respect, with dignity. Fathers, one of the greatest gifts that we could ever give our children is to love, respect, and sacrificially serve our wives. One of the greatest things we can do, our sons will learn to view and treat girls and women by watching how we talk about and talk to and treat our wives. Are you modeling for your sons what a healthy husband is to be? Our girls, our daughters are going to look and see and, 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 and come to expect how boys will treat them and the kind of man they're going to someday marry by looking at us, men. Are we setting the kind of example for them of what a gentle, godly husband is and how he values and treats the women in his life? That is our challenge. In verses 3 and 4, we also see that children will look up to their fathers. As I was just saying, our kids are looking up to us. What do they see when they look up to us? The garden theme here is of olive shoots growing around the parent tree. Again, that's a, that's a symbol of potential. Olives provided fruit to eat, oil to use in a variety of ways. And so it's an image of children, just picture children gathered around the table for a meal, looking to their father for guidance and for instruction. Because mealtime is such a great opportunity to shape the hearts and minds of our children. And again, just as our culture is confused about the roles and differences between men and women, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, our culture is terribly confused about the role of parents in the lives of their children. Parenthood is also under assault in our country. There are so many voices out there that actually are telling parents not to impose a worldview on their children not to impose their values or religious beliefs on their children. We're told that we should just trust our kids and let them decide on their own how to live and what to believe and what their gender is 
and whether to undergo life-changing surgeries or chemical treatments. We're just to trust them. Listen, if you've ever had a kid in your life, you know, don't trust them. They won't make good decisions. That's why they have parents to guide and guard them, to mold and shape them, to prepare them to be able to make those decisions as they get older. Our job is to give our children a solid foundation to cultivate homes where they are fed a biblical worldview so they can grow to be strong and healthy Christians. And listen, these people that are out there telling us to to not impose our views and, and, and values on kids, they're such hypocrites because guess what they're doing? Imposing their worldview and values on our kids. They just want us to let them do that. But as you know, children are like sponges. Children are like olive shoots. They'll grow in whatever soil they can find, whether it's healthy or not. And our job is to give them healthy soil. A few weeks ago I preached from Deuteronomy 6 on how God expects parents to raise their children to know and love Him. And and basically we're to surround them with God's Word. Impress it on our hearts. Surround our children with it. Talk about them at home and on the road when they lie down and when they get up. In other words, we're supposed to weed, feed, water, and tend to our children's spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional growth and health. That's our job. So they will flourish and bear good fruit. In verse 5, we see also that if we are leading with a trusting faith and we're leaving this transforming legacy that our community will prosper. This doesn't just bless our homes, our wives, and our children. It blesses our community as well. And we've already talked about the impact fathers and men can have in a community, but this psalm ends by extending that to the entire nation. It talks about uh, the prosperity of Jerusalem, and then it says peace, shalom, wholeness, prosperity, and well-being be with Israel, the whole nation. I believe The hope for our nation begins with Christian men rising up to be the kinds of husbands, fathers, and leaders God would have us to be. It will be a blessing to our nation. We can become a mighty army of justice, love, and the biblical morals and values our lost world is so desperately in need of. We can be the lifeboats to save millions of children that are adrift in this culture. Men, it begins with us. And finally, in verse 6, grandparents will leave a legacy for their grandchildren. Of course, it's a blessing for anyone to live long enough to see grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And we've had a few saints in our church that have had great-great-grandchildren. But you know what's even a greater blessing than just living long enough to see them? It's living long enough to be able to have a transforming impact on their lives. And we know grandparents can have just as big a positive or negative influence on our kids as we can as parents. Those grandparents are so important. In the Bible, you would have multiple generations living in the same home. So in a lot of ways, we were talking about a dad or a granddad, a mom or a grandmother, there was no differentiation in the times of the Bible. And I'm so grateful to have had grandparents who left behind a legacy of faith and trust and transformation for me. They may not have had much materially leave behind for me, but what they left for me is far greater than that. And it has influenced me and it has shaped me in so many ways. And I pray that I can be the kind of husband and father and grandfather that my papa was to me and that my dad is to me today. Man, what kind of legacy are you leading your family toward?
If Jesus were to stand before you today and ask you to give account for what kind of a husband you are, what kind of a father or grandfather you are, what kind of uncle, what kind of friend and leader in this church to the children in our church, what would you say if he were to ask you to give account? There's coming a day when he will. How will we answer? And it all begins with your relationship with Him. Men, before you can lead your family to a legacy of faith, you have to have faith in Jesus. Jesus loved you enough. In spite of your flaws and failures and sin, He loved you enough to die on a cross and to bear your guilt and shame for you so that you don't have to. We have the ultimate Father in heaven who so loved us that through the person of Jesus, His only begotten Son, He paid the ultimate price for our redemption. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Do you know today that God is your Father and that heaven is your home? If you have any doubt about that as we sing in just a moment, I invite you to come today. What a better day than Father's Day for a man to come and to put his faith and trust in the Heavenly Father and to experience that life transformation that begins in here. I invite you to do that today. But once we have that relationship with Jesus, men, we're responsible to cultivate it. We're responsible to impress God's Word on our heart. We're responsible to grow in our walk with Him through Scripture and prayer, through worship and serving and fellowship in the church. How are you doing at that? Maybe you need to come and rededicate your life and say, God, forgive me for not being the follower of Jesus I need to be. Forgive me for not being the husband and the father I need to be. I do get self-centered. I do begin to overwork. I do lose focus on my priorities. Forgive me and help me beginning today to walk closer with you and with my family. Maybe that's what God is speaking to your heart. Maybe God is calling you to lead your family to unite with this church family. That this would be the place for you to serve others and to share the goodness of God with our community. Whatever God is speaking to your hearts, men, women, boys or girls, let's be obedient. Let's do as God says. Would you please stand with me and let's pray? Father, we are so grateful for the plan that you wrought when you created this world and the plan that you have for us as men and women, boys and girls, as parents and children. And Lord, when we live by your ways, which, which seem upside down sometimes from what the world tells us, God, but when we trust you and we walk in your ways, we will be blessed. And you do have a reward and an inheritance for us. God, we thank you for that perfect plan and we thank you that you have provided a way for us through our sin, Lord, as we have broken and twisted and marred that plan and, and as, as we just don't sometimes understand what it means to be a man or a woman, a husband or, or a wife, a mother or a father, a parent or a child, we get confused, we get twisted, we get self-centered, we, we begin to worry about our power and our influence and our, our wants and needs and, and it, things spiral out of control. And we see that spiral in our world, God, but thank you that you provided a way through all that through Jesus Christ. God, if there's anyone here today that needs to reclaim that, that plan that you have for their life by putting their trust in Jesus, I pray they would come. And I pray, God, you would help us to mold and shape our families and the young people of this church. God, that you would help us to be fervent in our walk with you every day desiring to be closer to Jesus. And help us to truly lead our families, our church, and our community into a transforming legacy 
of faith in Jesus. It's in his name we pray.